Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Jonathan de Berke-Butler joins us uh, once again to bring us stories from other parts of the world. Afternoon, Jonathan. Sean, how are you getting on? Uh, right, Namibia, we're going to go to uh, first. And uh, this is a story about a gay couple uh, uh, with their son. Now, I assume this is significant for Namibia. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, that's a good point. It is. It's significant for Manib- uh, Namibia. Sorry, uh, it, 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 it was a judgment that was delivered by a judge called Thomas Masuku. Okay, in mid-October, in a case involving a Namibian citizen called Philip Lull, who is married to a Mexican called Guillermo Delgado. Okay, and they went into the surrogacy uh, situation, right? So they they had a son who was born in South Africa. Okay, mm. through surrogacy. Okay. That happened in March of 2019 and they had been fighting for a long time to have the son recognised as a citizen in Namibia through descent, right? Okay, yeah. so so basically on the South African birth cert, both Lull and Delgado are recorded as his parents, right? And they, they are married. So it was, it was recognised in South Africa and that was fine. But they had difficulties bringing him back, I suppose. I don't know in reality if they did or not, but they, I suppose they had difficulties in getting a passport for their son and, mm-hmm. and having him recognised as, as being from that country. So Lull asked the High Court to declare his son a Namibian citizen, but he was met by opposition from the Minister of Home Affairs, who basically said, well, in order to prove that he is your son, we want you, Mr Lull, the Namibian citizen, to take a DNA test. And when that was put to the court, the court basically said, look, there's absolutely no way that he needs to do this. Uh, in his judgment, the the, 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 um, the judge basically said that the minister's position appeared to be informed by the fact that Lull was in a same-sex marriage with a non-Namibian. And he went on to basically say that a request for, te- uh, for testing was basically informed by discrimination. And he said that if it was a you know, a heterosexual couple who had had the child that this request had never been put in in the first place. So he basically threw it out. Mm. He said, absolutely, I'm not going to entertain this. And uh, presumably that now means that this family can go forward and their son can become a Namibian citizen. But I suppose what's interesting about it is that it's... So there'd be a sort of... um, I suppose you you could draw the conclusion that it's a victory for gay rights, okay? In a a way. Yeah, but the judge, in his uh, in his judgment, the judge in his judgment, I'd, I'd like to come up with a different way of saying yeah. that. But basically, he said he said it was grossly unfair to deny the child citizenship. So his yeah. focus was very much on the child, and he had to be careful here because gay marriage is still illegal in Namibia. All right, it's so being it, gay, it, in being even being gay, right, is illegal. But it's not, you know, it's like a lot of those mm. uh, cases in that part of the world. It's, it's like not fireworks enforced. in this country. Yeah, it's that kind of thing. Yeah, it's just <laughs> interesting analogy. But yes, absolutely, it's like that. And they are thinking of scrapping the. Law. So I suppose gay rights advocates will see this as a step in the right direction. The lawyers just looking at, or the judge is just looking at it from the child's point of view, and basically say, look, it's mm. not the child's fault that you know the parents are into whatever sexual practices they're into, whether they're against the law, morally right, morally wrong, whatever it is. He's he's a Namibian mm. by descent and needs to be recognised. So, but I assume from under the law, then he will only have one parent. You know, he won't have two parents recognised under Namibian law. Well, that's a good that's a so good the, question. I I don't know. I mean, I mean, if he's on the birth cert as being recognised, he's on the birth cert. Both of them are his parents. I don't ah. know if Delgado's a Namibian citizen. You see, yeah. So it was Lull who brought the case, and he's the one who has uh, skin in the game as such. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, that's maybe another court case coming down. Well, uh, indeed, down, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The, the track there, right? Uh, uh, Iraq, we're going to go to next. I suppose a country we don't hear that much about. Yeah. Uh, again, one of those that's still going on, uh, even though we don't hear about eleven people killed there in an IS attack. Yeah, and that's exactly why I wanted to bring it up because we don't hear about Iraq as often as we used to, and uh, we don't hear about Islamic State as often as we used to, and that's mainly down to the fact that after two thousand and seventeen, an awful lot of their land that they had taken over so quickly or taken control of so quickly in 2014 uh, has been taken back off them and therefore they don't have the funding that they used to so they can't launch as many attacks but there is a significant amount of sleeper cells involved and an awful lot of them are still uh, still active in Iraq and Syria there was a UN report which suggested that there might be as many as 10,000 people still involved in Islamic State this particular uh, attack happened in a village called Rashad, it's a couple of hundred kilometres north of Baghdad, where um, members of Islamic State, they went into the village, they kidnapped two people, they went back to collect the ransoms, and uh, the, the ransom and the villager said, no, we're not giving you any ransom, and they opened fire on people, uh, killing 11 and wounding six. So, yeah, it's, it's the reason I brought it up, uh, really, mm. is because they've, they've not gone away, although their, their effectiveness has been depleted somewhat, well, significantly. Yeah. They are still active um, in Iraq and, of course, in other parts of the world. Yeah, and they can still walk into a village and kill 11 yeah, people. absolutely. Uh, right, uh, uh, next, uh, I suppose it's the US, really, where, where, where this actually happened, but it's, it's a great breakthrough for hippo rights. It is a huge breakthrough for hippo rights. It, it, a complicated one, I have to say, and uh, there's a bit of a backstory involving Pablo Escobar, right? So Pablo Escobar, big drug lord, as everybody knows, uh, he was killed in a shootout in 1993. But during the 1980s, he had free reign in uh, his particular part of Colombia. And of course, as most drug barons do, he started a zoo of his own. So he imported lots of different animals and amongst them were hippos, right? So Hmm. when eventually he was shot and the zoo... (laughs) I suppose the zookeepers weren't getting paid anymore. Uh, the hippos were left to their own devices. Right? The, yeah. the general feeling was, Asher, look, they'll be grand, they'll die off. But of course, they didn't. They did what hippos do, which was an, an awful Make lot of sweet, shagging, sweet hippo basically. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And their, their numbers went from 35 to over 100. Right, wow. So they have now become a problem. And because of their size, they're extremely difficult to move. Right, So there was various different <laughs> opinions as to what to do with them. Right, So initially, the Colombian government or whoever looks after basically said well look we'll, we'll kill them okay but animal rights activist says look there's a more humane way of doing this so what we'll do is we'll let these ones live and we'll sterilise them right so that mm. was agreed upon and that was fine however back in July a man by the name of Luis Maldonado brought a case basically saying that the sterilising that they were doing wasn't being done correctly and he wanted to offer a new type of Sterilization. All right. right. Are you with me so far? Yeah. Right. So he said that there was a more humane and safer way of doing this. So he was advocating on behalf of the hippos in Colombia. And in Colombia, hippos have rights. Okay. Their cases can be heard. And he wanted to bring in expertise from the United States of America. Right. There are two experts in sterilization from Ohio. Right. And there is a law, right? It's complicated. Sterilizing all the yeah. hippos in Ohio. Yeah, yeah. Well, indeed, there is, there is a law in the United States which basically says that depositions can be taken in a US court mm. and used in foreign trials, right? right? So, an organization called the Animal Legal Defense Fund, right? It decided that they were going to advocate on behalf of the hippos who were involved in another case in Colombia in the United States so the deposition from these two experts in Ohio could be heard Mm. and therefore declared legal. But in order for that to happen 
they had, the hippos had to be a legal entity because you can't take a deposition from two experts about a, on a case that doesn't exist. Right, okay. And in the United States, animals are not interested persons or legally recognised for representation. Okay. So this Animal Legal Defence Fund took the case and said, we need to recognise the hippos, otherwise the depositions won't be valid and they can't be used then in Colombia. So they asked the court to recognise the hippos as interested persons and the judge said, yeah, okay, okay, absolutely. So what that's done is that's kind of opened up a can of worms in other cases because they're not, they weren't before interested uh, interested person. They now can be seen as interested pe- now, persons. Now, just hippos or anything? Well, that's the thing because there's a case coming up in New York, the New York Court of Appeals around an uh, elephant in a zoo in the Bronx um, who... Uh, is looking for that same recognition so his case can be brought. I think he's looking to be rehoused or he's looking for some sort of sanctuary or other like that. And his representatives, even though he doesn't have them because he's not re- legally recognised as such, okay, uh, are looking for him to be uh, legally recognised so the case can be decided upon in this manner. Right, okay. I hope that makes sense. It's unbelievably yeah. complicated. But so, so in the meantime, all these hippos are still running a, a, yeah. a muck around <laughs> Medellin or wherever and, and just, you know, get at it hammer and tongs. Yes. Having loads uh, of baby hippos. Uh, yes, and, and, and it's more than likely that, in fact, that this particular decision in the United States will have absolutely no effect on the decision in <laughs> Colombia, right? And so that's what's kind of clever about it because I think the Animal Legal Defence Fund saw what was going on and they jumped on this and they used it as a way yeah. of getting the interested person's recognition in the United St- in US law, right? So right. It, it's quite clever in a way. I don't yeah. know, you see, who got in touch with who, whether it was the lawyer down in Colombia or the other way around. These guys in San Francisco said, hey, we know two guys up in Hawaii and we'll get a deposition. And, Huge legal yeah. pre- uh, precedent though, yeah, already uh, exactly. for animal rights. Right, uh, not too far from there, we're going to go to Mexico now. And this is a, a story about the regulation of indigenous medicine. Yeah, it's, it's another complicated one. This is... Um, a law that was passed in April in the lower house in Mexico. Okay, it was a proposal that was put together um, and put forward by the governing Morena party. Okay, and they mm-hmm. unanimously voted through the lower house in April. The crux of it is that it would grant Mexican state authorities to regulate and control practice of indigenous medicine. Right. Okay. Now, the arguments for it is that the new law will allow indigenous medicine to be incorporated and integrated. Uh, into the country's health system and the law will be legally certified and things will be regulated and standardised and people who want to learn how to practice indigenous medicine properly will be able to do that through presumably a college that might be set up in Mexico City called the Indigenous Health School, School, right? Something like that, right? Uh, there is another side of it where I think advocates of it say that there are some of these herbs that are used in indigenous medicine that aren't probably the best for you, particularly around your liver function and that kind of thing. Okay. So it might need a little bit of regulation around that. However, there are several arguments against it. And one is that um, indigenous tribes are worried that it will lead to uh, exploitation and control uh, that they don't really want. Because, I mean, these are guys who have... They practice medicine in their local community. They have an awful lot of power. Uh, mm. An awful lot of these medicines are, you know, just basically you go out and you pick a few plants and you sort of ingest them. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And their local traditions more than anything else. So they see this as as interference by the government and, and an awful lot of people aren't particularly keen on it. Yeah. Though I would imagine if there's a, a an urge to regulate, it might be on 
the health and safety might be factors here. That would be one argument I'm sure that the government are putting across. I mean, the, the people that don't want it regulated are saying you're just trying to monetize something that already exists and yeah. you should get your greasy corporate hands off it, basically. Yeah. That's that's their point of view, I think. Uh, in the last uh, minute or so uh, we have left, uh, we'll, we'll go to ta- Tajikistan and uh, they've, uh, they were in a deal with the Chinese for a permanent base and now they've withdrawn from that. No, I th- I, no, it's still no, it's still going ahead. Right, so, so okay. The, the Tajikistan or, or and, it's made the deal. Yeah, Sorry, they, yes, they made the deal. Me, yeah, yes. no, no, not at all. Tajikistan has approved the construction of a of this new Chinese funded base. Right, it's near the the country's border with Afghanistan, and I think that's what probably jumped out at me. Okay, mm. so Tajikistan um, are saying that there are growing threats coming from. Afghanistan. Now, there's always been scepticism amongst critics of the Tajik government of, as to how they use their anti-terror laws, right? So back in June or July of this year, I think 120 people were sent to prison for being members of the Muslim Brotherhood, right? And there was no oversight of the trial whatsoever. It was done behind closed doors. From the Chinese point of view, they're quite worried about what's going on in, in Afghanistan as well, because they have their own problems with Uyghurs, as we know, only uh-huh. too well. And... Um, they see Afghanistan as a potential base from which to launch attacks within China, right? So if that border along Tajikistan and Afghanistan isn't secured, you know, they feel they might inevitably suffer, right? So they have a, they have skin in the game here again and in as much as that they are more than willing to invest and open a base here and have control or a little bit of control along that border uh, along with Tajikistan. Yeah, so th- this is a very large military, Chinese military base in another country. Yeah. yeah, wouldn't be the first. Wouldn't either, be the I first, think, no. Yeah. But it's not. It, it usually they try to you know do trade with countries. Oh yeah, well that that is true actually yeah. because it's it's that's very true actually. They're a little bit more subtle usually yeah. than they're in their foreign policy. Um, but this, as I said, is right on their border, and and they'll argue they've been invo- they've been invited. You know, um, it's been passed by the Tajik government. <laughs> government, yeah. uh, and and uh, you know they're saying come on in, and and I think there's other deals going on where they're where they're going to get uh, more arms and and the like in exchange as well. The Tajik government, that is, yeah, so. interesting development. Jonathan, yeah. thanks as ever. Thanks, Jonathan Sean. de Butler, there you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Moncrief on News Talk, brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.